When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, my name is Christian, and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non-concept albums. Happy holidays! It's that time of year, the time of year where podcasts and shows and music gets a little bit sillier, a little bit cheerier, and a whole lot more annoying. But annoying in a good way, the kind of way that you complain about in the moment, but find yourself feeling cozy in again when you hear it at just the right time in just the right place. A sense of comfort, a sense of community, just like this podcast, and speaking of this podcast, it really wouldn't be the season of giving if I didn't mention the reason for the season. Season one of Throughline, that is. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the home of the first HD podcast and the best place to find podcasts of many an ilk, covering a variety of entertainment-related topics, from movies to music to books to movies about music to books about movies to music from movies. All of it. They even have an app now where you can check out all of their podcasts, including including Throughline, in that nifty little streamlined interface, or wherever you podcast. In addition, a great big seasonal thanks to our parent podcast, Audio Judo, a podcast that works its damnedest to provide you with the history and stories of albums new and old to help you discover your next favorite band. It's funny and has tons of interesting personal anecdotes, too. And they have almost 100 episodes, so plenty to pick from wherever you podcast. Now, today, all I really want for Christmas is you to listen to this episode and tell your friends because we're doing the deep dive, the big mama of Christmas albums, the queen of Christmas herself, Mariah Carey, and her 1994 annual chart-topping mega-hit album, Merry Christmas, containing, you guessed it, the modern Christmas song, the one everyone loves to razz, but also the one everyone secretly knows is the herald of the season. All I want for Christmas is you. Now, you may be hearing this and thinking to yourself, well, I guess, first of all, why the heck am I covering a Christmas album? Most Christmas albums are mishmashes of mostly covers, with the occasional original song thrown in here and there to spice it up. How can, effectively, a compilation tell a considered story? Well, as we've discussed in the past, a large part of the meaning of the album is why certain songs are in the order that they are. I mean, the vast majority of each album breakdown in the podcast so far sees us going song by song, tracing the story through that particular organization of songs, the way each song informs the one before and after it, and subsequently helps us define a through line, a story arc with a beginning, middle, and end. And if this this is such an essential portion of the telling of a conceptual album story, then why can't a compilation album, one that also needs to have its songs placed at least in some order, why can't one of these have a similar arc? 
Okay, fine, it's a bit silly, but it could also be interesting and lead to some interesting conversations. Your second question may be more reasonable, though, in that it's not unlikely you're listening and thinking to yourself, I thought All I Want for Christmas is You was a single. There's an album? There's a full album of Mariah Carey Christmas songs? And yes, you'd actually be shocked how many Christmas songs are from fully-fledged, developed, pressed, printed, entire albums dedicated to Christmas songs. Merry Christmas itself released in 1994 under Columbia Records. It was Carrie's fourth studio record, releasing in the intermittent year between two other albums of her regular non-holiday music, one of them her biggest-selling album of all time, Music Box. It was met with a range of reviews, averaging out to generally pretty okay, but honestly, who cares about ratings for an album like this? Because it's hard to argue with the numbers. And the numbers say that this is one of the best-selling holiday albums of all time, with at least 8 million copies of the record sold in the U.S. alone. That's not to discount the fact that the hit single, All I Want for Christmas is You, just surpassed 1 billion plays on Spotify by itself. 1 billion! That means that on average, 1 out of 8 people in the world has heard the song. And that's only counting Spotify. Combining other streaming platforms and sales and who knows what else, there's a chance this song has been played enough to theoretically have been heard by every person in the world, maybe multiple times over. It's eight times platinum in the US, six times platinum in Australia, three times platinum in Canada, Denmark, and Norway, and the list just goes on. It charted number one on multiple charts, including number three on the US Billboard, which sounds crazy for a holiday record, and has been re-released countless times. All I Want itself is certified diamond in the US, selling over 10 million copies and being the only holiday song to do so. It remains as one of the best-selling singles of all time, holiday or non-holiday. It's actually really quite astonishing. Now, if you don't know who Mariah Carey is outside of her Christmas stuff, well, boy, do I have good news for you. We're about to cover it. She is a soul R&B pop hip-hop singer who rose to fame in part due to her absolutely insane vocal range. Five octaves is just outrageously absurd, and you can hear some of those powerful and insanely high notes on Merry Christmas. She has released 15 studio albums, and if you thought the numbers that Merry Christmas did were mind-boggling, just wait. She has sold over 72 million records in the U.S. alone. That's one album per about five Americans. 20% of the U.S. owns an entire Mariah Carey record. That's literally so many. But also, over 220 million records worldwide. That's one record per 36 people. What? I had no idea. This is my actual unfiltered reaction as I'm writing this episode. I'm stunned. She's heavily cited as one of the major influencers of modern pop, hip-hop, and R&B, and is still putting out music and touring. Her last album was a bit back in 2018, and her last tour ended in 2019 for that same album, but considering how the last three years have gone worldwide, I don't really blame her for the hiatus since. With her recent emphasis on playing into the Queen of Christmas moniker given to her by the internet, I wouldn't be surprised if she begins gearing up for something new in the pipeline. And with it could come another tour, becoming her 14th official tour, adding on to the already over 500 shows she's performed worldwide. And as long as she plays all I want, I'll be happy. But as always, we have plenty to talk about and no more time for a doing. So let's get into this episode without any more rigmarole. It's the holidays after all. You have family to see, fruitcake to grumble at, and presents to wrap haphazardly because it's two days before Christmas. How is there still so much rapping to do. It's truly now time to begin breaking down the album of the season, the Queen of Christmases, Mariah Carey's own Merry Christmas. Oh, oh, oh. Merry Christmas, or Happy Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, or Yule. Whatever it is you celebrate at this time of year, I wish you the best of that. We are no stranger to the still prevalent miscalculation that inclusivity is somehow an attempt at the eradication of the established power. And in spite of that, we wish you the absolute most inclusive and varied holiday season that is culturally possible. However, it's through line's first holiday season, and while there's an incredibly rich and diverse array of worldly and multicultural holiday music 
music and festivities, some of which you can get over on Audio Judo. They just released a Christmas Around the World episode. I personally grew up in a household that celebrated Christmas. Some might even say over-celebrated. It's been a long-running tradition for my parents, mostly my mom, to decorate the house as densely as possible. Christmas trees in every room, decorations from every railing, a bit or bauble in every corner. A wondrous escape into a completely different realm, one that feels a little bit softer, a little bit brighter. It's truly a merry time during these months. We bundle up tight, hunker down together, and spend time making things that smell good, and giving each other manifestations to express our friendships and relationships, physical representations that we care and that we've been thinking about each other. And by God, do we listen to music. An entire cultural shift in the musical landscape happens every year, at least in America, starting just after Halloween to a wind down after Christmas. It gets to the point that almost everyone complains at some point, yet no complaining ever seems to hold any weight because it just happens year after year. We almost certainly want it to remain, and there is absolutely one reigning queen, as we've been saying, over all of this domain, the herald of the season, Mariah Carey. Her original Christmas songs, or at least one in particular, are arguably as popular as the Carol classics. The internet memes their way around her reintroduction onto the radio, our speakers, and store playlists year over year, and she has personally embraced her role as the bringer of the season multiple times. She is, for all intents and purposes, the most prominent modern Christmas artist outside of maybe Buble or Kelly Clarkson, and even then it might not even be a competition. But talking about the joy of the season is complicated, just as much as what I've just said is complicated. This conversation often doesn't necessarily get to the heart of everyone's experience with Christmas or the holiday season. Oh, you thought this was going to be a happy-go-lucky episode of Throughline? You thought this was going to be sugar plum fairies and cookies? This is Throughline. This is elves who question their career path late into their toy-making career. This is Santa who can't deliver presents because he doesn't feel the holiday spirit. This is penguins near the North Pole who are supposed to be near the South Pole. Hard-hitting stuff. Real detective work. Sleuthing. But without too much more ridiculousness, it's true. There's a large portion of the population who gain a profound joy from the holidays, a yearly experience of love and family and comfort. But there are many others who experience this season differently. Individuals without family, friends, or loved ones. Individuals who don't celebrate their holiday for fear of those who will look down on it or worse. Individuals who are unable to see the good in the midst of all of the other bad happening in the world. And truthfully, some who just don't see it. Who, for whatever reason or another, think it's a load of crock artificial or capitalist or exploitative, etc. Even in this routinely historic time of giving, those less fortunate can easily be forgotten about in the waves of positivity that push anything bad or difficult to face out of sight and out of mind. And I really do hate to do this to you, but all signs in the Mariah Carey album we're covering today, Merry Christmas, all the signs point to this album being about loss and denial, grief and attempting to cope through it. And all I want for Christmas Christmas is you is almost tragic. Now before you roll your eyes and click next, hear me out for a bit. This is not a conspiracy theory. Well, maybe. It is my very specific opinion, but I feel like there's decent evidence here to suggest I may be right. Like, just take a listen to how sad one of the middle songs of the album sounds. Now, many old Christmas songs are solemn, but this is more like longing rather than atmospheric or thoughtful. But I think the most obvious place to start with this tragedy is with the song names. Just glancing at the titles, it's hard not to get lost in what appears to essentially just be a mixture of a number of the caroling greatest hits with some now original ubiquitous songs sprinkled in for good measure. You have your Silent Night, your Oh Holy Night, your Joy to the World, but if we take a deeper look at the first five songs, there's a bit of a peculiar trend. For Going Silent Night and Oh Holy Night, we're left with three non-traditional Christmas songs, ones written in the modern or semi-modern era, two of which were crafted in part by Carrie herself. We start with the towering presence of All I Want for Christmas is You, which as far as titles go, and a judging a book by its cover read, is a sweet sentiment, a feeling of being satisfied with your love, satisfied in your life. But the second of these three clouds this initial meaning a bit. While the official title is Christmas, and in 
argument could be made that talking about the parenthetical alternate title is therefore moot, that possibly moot alternate title is Baby Please Come Home. Now, on its own, this already has a little bit of a weird energy. There's the possibility of being able to read it as a plea for your lover to be able to make it home in time for Christmas, that they don't miss the holiday season and therefore don't miss the all-important memories to be made around this time. But when tied to the first song, it almost takes on an element of begging as if some love was lost and this character is attempting to woo them back, attempting to persuade them to return. And this is only compounded by the final of these three, Miss You Most. This song entirely swaps what the previous did with its title, placing the personal part as the actual title and the festivity part at Christmas time in parentheticals, following the actual title. This places the emotional aspect to the front, doubling down on the possibly unrequited love, abstracting it beyond just just Christmas in the song's title. Christmas and the holiday season here are second to being without this specific love. But looking at the lyrics, this isn't the whole story. We'll come back to this idea, but I think for now, we need to talk about a likely burning question. If this album is so tragic, if this album is so focused on a lost love, then why is the vast majority of the album pretty standard Christmas songs? Carols, even. Old, traditional, tried and true, Jesus-laden, worship carols, and also Santa Claus is coming to town. I mean, if the album is so sad, then how come Joy to the World sounds like this? That doesn't sound sad. That's honestly the most upbeat version of that song I've probably ever heard in my life, and it comes immediately after Miss You Most. Now wait a second, where have we seen this before? What traditionally has been the impetus for wild tonal shifts in albums? Well, for me, I found they're often used as distractions. Diversions from the main character's journey to allow them respite from whatever it is they're going through. A moment of safety from the unlayering of the truth and consequences of their experiences. And the overarching reason for this is because this album, like many albums we've covered in the past, is not about just one thing. It's rather about many that all coalesce into a central idea, many pieces that twist around each other and thread a tapestry of theme and purpose. We see this blending even occur in the big track, All I Want for Christmas is You, because while it is colored by the songs that follow it, it still retains a bounciness that is more reminiscent of holiday joy than it is seasonal depression. It's arguably the most fun song on the album. I know we've all heard it before, but take a listen. Really absorb the energy. Energy, yet lyrically downtrodden, missing something, light, but with a tinge of darkness. And the blending continues in songs like Joy to the World, with again this holiday cheer, but also an exploration of faith and belief in what many a Christmas song is about, Jesus' birth. And continuing yet again, songs like Oh Holy Night are quiet, dimly lit songs traditionally, other than the big climax, with more explorations of that faith. But Carrie adds a unique brightness to them that seeps back into the joy. So then we've arrived at a bit of a crossroads. A through line, even. An album about dealing with the grief and loss of a life partner, someone you loved who left for one reason or another during a period of traditionally great joy and light, in a way that fundamentally sees the individual examine their faith and connection to spirituality as a result. A blending of faith, joy, and grief. The celebration of a birth amidst the tragedy of a funeral that the main character imperfectly attempts to navigate. So let's really dig into the order of these songs and see if we can't extract a functional storyline from a Christmas album, one traditionally thought not to have any significant story, often thought as a compilation. Let's see if we can't prove that wrong, starting with song one, of course, Silent Night.
Now, this is a standard Christmas song, so it's not necessarily worthwhile to go into an explanation of these types of songs, but on second thought, that is both a very Amero-centric and a very Christmas-centric way of viewing these songs. Silent Night may be a staple of Christmas around the world, but that is not to say it is a staple for every person around the world. So let's do our due diligence here, especially considering Mariah Carey does some rather interesting things to a lot of these covers, including changing the general flow or tone through alternate or exaggerated genre stylings. And that starts right now. Silent Night, more traditionally, is one of the softest holiday songs, with no routine exaggeration of any lyric in particular. It rather usually is quiet from beginning to end. Not here. Here, Carrie swings the song into gospel territory, introducing a slew of instruments, including some electric keyboards or organs, along with a large backing choir, as she goes on to perform Mariah Carey branded flourishes throughout, climaxing toward the end. And not only that, but Carrie also removes an entire verse. Now, this is not unusual. Songs routinely sung, especially from older time periods, often go through some editing by cover artists. I mean, the Star Spangled Banner is technically four times as long long as what's traditionally performed. Three full additional stanzas. But Silent Night is not shortened here. There was plenty of time for the second stanza. So why remove it? Well, let's examine these verses quickly. She sings the first and third, the first being about the pregnant Virgin Mary and the subsequent baby Jesus following his birth, so tender and mild, who sleeps peacefully, a gift from heaven. The third verse gives him divine presence, elucidating that he is the Son of God and essentially emanates grace even from the moment of his birth. Okay, fine so far. These two seem to flow into each other. But the skipped verse, the second verse, is rather interesting. Rather than being about the physical Jesus himself, this verse instead talks about the introduction of grace to the baby Jesus. The glories stream from heaven afar, causing the shepherds nearby to quake at the sheer power and awe. The baby is then bestowed with this power, deemed at that moment the savior. Now songs later on revisit this description, but by removing it here, the album is grounding the song into more of a sense of humanity and mortality, something that she is then able to connect to. A wonderful baby that emanates warmth and light, a peaceful repose, one that she can extract joy from in the winter season, rather than a power she can't comprehend. The energy grows immediately from the beginning and continues into arguably the energetic climax of the album. Not the emotional one just yet, though. In All I Want, for Christmas is you. big one, but also curious. In the previous song, she related to the humanity of Jesus as a way to give herself strength for her very real human problems, one of which is the longing for a lost love. The song is overwhelmingly peppy, both the love and bane of many people's Christmas times. It is high energy and fun, with a strong singable hook, as much as the average person can sing along with Mariah Carey, and a rhythm and melody that easily gets stuck in your head. But it isn't a happy song. One of the most salient telltale factors is the fact that by the end of the song, and even a lot throughout, she's nearly shouting, almost pleading for this Christmas wish to come true, that the person she wants for the season will be there for her. Now this could just be Carrie's regular shtick, but the driving nature of the song and the use of phrases, won't you please bring my baby to me, emphasize this narrative. Now obviously there are plenty of Christmas songs that encircle this idea. Someone loved, a close family member, a friend, etc., hoping to be home for Christmas, or missing someone who can't make it for one reason or another. Blue Christmas, I'll Be Home for Christmas, Home for the Holidays, Last Christmas, even the song just titled Christmas, which just so happens to be two songs later on this album. Being home with your loved ones is a pretty common theme, and for all intents and purposes, there's nothing to suggest that Carrie's desire won't end up being there. So what's the rub on this song? Why am I making this out to sound a lot worse than it presumably is? Well, let me point out something peculiar about the lyrics here. Much of the song revolves around Santa, bringing 
her love back to her, saying, Santa Claus won't make me happy with a toy on Christmas Day, or the late bridge line, Santa won't you bring me the one I really need. Nearly everything seems to revolve around Santa coming through with this wish, but take a listen to the final two lines of verse 2. I won't make a list and send it to the North Pole for St. Nick. How does she expect to receive this gift, a pretty difficult gift to come through on, if she doesn't even ask? It's almost like she knows it's not possible. Maybe she knows, for one reason or another, that this is an impossible wish, that what she wants, she won't be able to have, which colors this entire song pretty dramatically. Is she a hopeless romantic? Is she pining over a failed relationship? Is she grieving? What's really going on here? And all of a sudden, we're thrust into another classic carol. Again, partly revamped or updated, but it's a wildly different style, just like the movement from song one to two. Oh, holy night. What we see here is almost a recovery period. There's definitely something bothering Carrie's character in the opening few songs, some complicated interplay between her loss, her faith, and the innate joy of the holiday season. Empowered by some of the personal connection with her faith in the first song, she moved into approaching her period of loss in the context of the joy of the season, giving us a very bouncy all I want to digest her loneliness. But now we move again into that faith space, recovering from the slow growth of chaotic elements in the end of the last song. But beyond the interesting style change from song to song, this carol itself is a unique one. Most carols are pretty static throughout the song, staying either soft, playful, or somber throughout their entirety. Oh Holy Night is iconic for its break from this trend. It begins with a rather gentle hymnal section, with some weird minor shifts, that sets the stage of Jesus' birth, a beautiful night that became even brighter for the grace he brought. The song then blossoms into a growing selection of choruses that see the singer finally deliver an explosive, climactic Oh Night Divine, a moving lyrical moment for all listening, devout or not. There is a searching for purpose in this song, one mortal and floundering in awe of a great, powerful force that it is unable to comprehend. The soaring vocals of the climax, almost a release of awe, a response to being overwhelmed by something unknowable. Carrie's character sees an intensely dramatic variation of this, empowered by Carrie's own impressive vocals. But I want to highlight a part of the end of this song that adds a bit of texture to the traditionally worship-fueled carol. <laughs> Repeated a few times, Carrie emphasizes that it was a long night, sandwiched between the choral background singers repeating the O Night Divine line. Rarely does the phrase a long night refer to any night of particular merriment. And so we begin to see the character's own personal feeling about the season, or Christmas night in general, bleed into their celebration of their faith and the season, a glimmer of sorrow permeating into the performance formed proclamation. And as a result, opposed to the movement from Silent Night to All I Want, that perfect cloaking of sorrow or loss through the empowerment of her faith, the movement from Oh Holy Night to Christmas Baby Please Come Home fails to fully mask the intention. There was always the possibility that the character's love would return in All I Want, but here it seems doubtful, if not strictly unlikely. Lyrics such as, they're singing Deck the Halls, but it's not like Christmas at all, paint an entirely different picture. For the first time, we get a true sense of the character's emotional state. The ramp up, the connection to her faith, and the reason for the season from the previous song didn't give her the strength to mask it this time. It's starting to spill through. There are still elements of her holding it together. The song is 
still Christmassy and they sing the name of the holiday quite a few times over the course of the song. There's even multiple references to how beautiful the season is, watching the pretty lights on the tree shine. But the actual cadence of the vocals is a lot more downtrodden, crooning even. Again, the song breaks down at the end into a showcase of Carrie's vocal abilities in a way that sounds like begging, singing please over and over again, a near hysterical plea for their return. And if there was ever any doubt that this was a sorrowful plea, take a listen to the bridge. There was a way I would hold back this tear, but it's Christmas Day. Crying on Christmas? That's so sad, but not as sad as the next song, Miss You Most at Christmas Time. The two non-carols on this album have been largely bright, lit by the sun or the bright glow of Christmas lights. They sound like they were recorded during the day. This song does not feel bright. It is a slow orchestration, rarely parting from Carrie's vocals, the piano, and some strings. As many of her songs do, it has a powerful climax at the end of the song, but it is largely driven by the emotional weight of her voice, rather than a myriad of other voices and instruments as in the previous four songs. As such, this song does not even feel like the warm glow of a fireplace or the gentle caress of moonlight. Instead, it feels like staring at the dark reaches of the winter night, the vast barrenness of a snow-covered landscape the only source of light, a single struggling candle. Now, the first few lines of the song set the stage as the fire is burning, the room's all aglow, but there's a distant quality to it, almost ignored, as the final lines of the verse press tightly around the listener in a moment of vulnerability that feels suddenly very personal. The world's celebrating, and everyone's so happy, except for me tonight. The sorrowful darkness quickly morphs through the song into the final continuation of our unearthing of the true description of what happened or at least the most plausible. We've been toying around with the idea of what exactly the character has been missing in these three non-carol songs. Someone who left, someone who is merely absent right now, or even someone who died. And this song grants moments that make a pretty strong argument for the latter to be the correct read. That the character is grieving someone who passed away and is attempting to carry herself forward past the season without falling into this pit of despair, without letting herself feel even worse because she knows that the spirit of the holiday and her religious connection should make her feel lifted and full of joy and grace. There are three fairly strong arguments for grief to be the driving force here, two of which are lyrical and one being artistic. Lyrically, the first hint toward death is the line, remembering when you were mine. Now obviously people who are reminiscing on an old love or fling that ended up breaking up will also think about when you were mine. But the texture of the scene does not call to mind notes of jealousy at others or some other brighter moment that calls up these thoughts. Instead, it is the dark, desolate winter night that immediately precedes these lines. A depressive atmosphere that represents a kind of lifelessness, cold and barren, and for lack of a better word, dead, that may call upon thoughts of those who have passed. The second lyrical note comes from verse 3, and we're actually going to come back to this one at the end. Instead, I think it prudent now and incredibly telling on the mindset of the album to discuss the third indicator of death and or grief in the song, as it is also a rather informational aspect for many of the other songs as well. The album art is fairly simple. It has Mariah Carey dressed in a form-fitting Santa Claus outfit, kneeling in a snowy expanse of white, looking at the camera with an expression that rides a line between provocative and innocent, which if Santa Baby is anything to go by is not an uncommon mixture of ideas at the holidays. Fortunately, that song is absent from this album. While the artwork is largely unremarkable, though, the really curious portion comes from the single artwork. Yes, we're kind of expanding the definition of what we cover here on the podcast, but it's key to illustrating the evolving nature of the story in this album, so I'm making the executive decision here to include it. This information is kind of hard to verify, though, so bear with me, but using Lyric's website Genius as my source, five of the ten songs in the album have unique single artwork. All I Want for Christmas is You, Oh Holy Night, Miss You Most, 
joy to the world, and Jesus born this day. If we follow the journey across the pictures taken in each, an interesting pattern emerges with our theory so far. Silent Night starts with no single artwork, a fairly innocuous introduction to the album. Then, All I Want sees her standing in that same field, but with her arms up in an overly performative fashion, and the look on her face plastered and slightly ingenuine, showing the first signs of cracking in the holiday facade. Oh Holy Night then removes the Santa garb and shows her looking seriously away to the side, dressed in a conservatively colored top and headband that shows even further into the fold, an innocent outfit to represent the faith, but with a hint of sorrow. Christmas, again, has no unique art, reverting back to the original album image, but now feeling orchestrated and staged as a result of the previous songs. Then, we reach Miss You Most, and the conservativeness is removed. The holiday is removed, like how the word Christmas is relegated to parenthetical status in the song. And all that remains is an innocence tinged by sorrow. There is no smile. There are no lights. It is plain and gloomy, just as much as the subject matter. The true nature of the character's journey has broken through here, the true underpinning of the album. But the following song attempts to undermine our journey, to hide it again, by performing one of the most bizarre covers of Joy to the World I've ever heard. For a minute at the beginning, it does feel like the character is trying to cope with the feelings she has, to find a way to see the light in the darkness. But after about that minute or so into the song, it's instead thrust into a driving groove that lasts for almost three minutes. It's jarring and distracting, and that's largely the point. At this point, as the album swaps over from the first half to the second half, all of the previous stuff the character had been experiencing is buried. Everything that happened was an introduction to and failure to mask the character's sorrow going into the holiday season. And we are now firmly in the time where the season is upon us, and the character is now determining how they're going to cope with it this year. And in the song, the attempt to cope is done by taking every disparate piece from the first half and duct taping them all together. The choir returns, the fast-moving genre-bending covers, the vocal gymnastics that round out the end of the song, the soul, well, the soul style, the soul feels absent. Now, that may not be intentional, and to be fair, it's not a bad song, but in the context of the story, it feels staged and artificial. Likewise, the single artwork shows Carrie in a grainy sepia tone, almost as if the picture were a relic, faded and forgotten about, showcasing how the song is completely overriding her emotional truth, masking it as a thing to forget or a thing of the past. But there is a slowdown in the end of Joy to the World, a musical moment that calls back to its opening, a section that we almost lauded for its continuation of the feelings of the character, a measured response to her fears and sorrow, and the following song, Jesus Born on This Day, gives the character some measure of reconciliation in a surprising turn from the masking present in joy. Today a child is born on earth. This is the final song on the album that Carrie herself had a part in writing, the rest being traditional carols or other types of Christmas songs, and it is hopeful. Again, being largely about Jesus's well, birth, you know, born on this day, there's a stark contrast here to the other religious songs in that there's very little that feels edited or performative. There are no missing verses, no tweaked lines. The song is slow, using its choir and tasteful enhancements of Carrie's vocals, even seeing her step back from the spotlight at the end of the song to let the choir take over, something that she hasn't really done up until this point. Take a listen. The vast majority of the song is very similar in subject matter to the three previous more traditional songs, Silent Night, O Holy Night, and Joy to the World, lauding the birth of Jesus and the grace he then provided unto the world according to Christian theology. But up until this point, these songs have been distractions, or attempts to uplift herself, or attempts to mask pain. But here, she is fully giving in to the meaning. She surrenders to the words. 
That's why it's so imperative that she dips from the chorus at the end of the song, because she is the one listening. He is light, he is love, he is grace. Just like the single artwork for this song, Carrie again dressed in the Santa Claus outfit, now looking up and away hopefully, so too does this song radiate that hope. And she uses that hope to revitalize her spirit in the season. In the following song, Santa Claus is coming to town. A classic, done in a variety of styles from ballad-like carols to the Jackson 5's bombastic style to here. It's a fun crowd pleaser with joy and silliness galore. And what we see from Carrie here is a full immersion into that fun. It feels genuine and cheerful, no performance cloying or pleading. Subject matter-wise, there's really nothing here to write home about. There is an interesting additional verse in the middle that talks about children building a land of toys around the Christmas tree that I've never heard before, but the most interesting part of this song is the beginning. Rather than dig right into the song from the get-go, the first 30 seconds or so instead play the Brahms lullaby. The go to sleep, go to sleep, little baby one. You know the one. It is at this point in the album, as we're lulled to sleep, that we finally ticked over to Christmas. Everything else preceding the actual day itself. And against all odds, it seems as though Carrie's character is going into it with an open mind, an open heart, and a reflection of the holiday spirit. There is growth here, and we know for sure that there is because there's a very clear musical motif that calls back to an earlier song in the album and introduces it in a new light. Yes, you heard that right. The beginning of All I Want and Santa Claus is Coming to Town are very similar. In fact, let's overlay them on each other to get a better look. Why do that? Is that lazy? Well, no, actually, it's, in my opinion, quite clever. Whereas in All I Want, there was an undercurrent of darkness, of somberness to the music that was contextualized by later songs, this song stands alone as a symbol of good tidings, a hope for a good season. By repeating the musical theme, we're granted the knowledge that the character is adjusting how they view the season, from one they have to hide from to one they can embrace. We even see that in the single artwork, as from this point on, there are no unique single artworks, instead just using the album photo. Again, this is now recontextualized, in this moment now becoming a scene of a bright, cheerful winter wonderland, rather than the desolate, lonely image it had morphed into. With this newfound joy, the last two songs are really just standard Christmas tunes, seeing the character partake in the festivities and allowing herself the space to move on from the grief that she had experienced year after year. Song 9 is an old Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This song, again, treads the same ground of the other religious songs in the album, proclaiming that Jesus is born and brings love and grace and good to the world in a way it had been missing before. Despite this being another exploration of this topic, with really little new to say, the important thing here, again, is the delivery. We have the backing choir helping enhance the vocals on this track. And just like Jesus Born This Day, where Carrie steps out at the end to allow room for the character to digest the message, so too does she allow herself to be subsumed by the chorus. However, here, instead of just being an observer, she takes a more confident step forward and melds her voice into the choir, neither overshadowing nor becoming overshadowed, perfectly mixing into the singer's vocal fabric. The character is no longer watching from afar the world experience this holiday, watching the children playing and others celebrating, finally letting herself be a part of the festivities. And song 10 is our last song. Jesus, oh what a wonderful child. Jesus, Jesus, 
I don't think I need to repeat myself again on what this song is about, but here we do get one final important change. One final moment of growth in the wrapping of our entire idea about this album into a beautiful little wrapped present. This album has largely been about the struggle of the main character with experiencing this traditionally joyous season alone, grieving a lost loved one who they used to spend the season with. Seeing everyone else have a peaceful and happy time was difficult to witness, but the alternative was worse, so she tried to lean on her connection to her faith to help mask the feelings of pain, hiding behind the proclaimed strength, peace, grace, and light of Jesus to pretend like she was okay. However, pretending that the bad isn't bad wasn't effective, and it began to spill through the sides into her worship, and eventually the pain couldn't be slowed anymore. She disassociated following her collapse, but found renewed strength in an understanding that grief cannot be hidden. So she returned to her faith, and instead of fighting, she listened. She absorbed what she could and found some meaning in the season that allowed her some peace. In this newfound hope, she let herself get silly and re-found the joy in the season, and from that point on joined in the festivities and saw herself start to feel better. Thoughts of the past now far from her mind. And in this song, we finally get the reconciliation of all of these ideas. Here, for the first time on the album, an upbeat, religious song that feels genuine, that doesn't read like a mask. She sings of new life, new joy, signaling a new start for herself, and connects it back to the joy of the season, the joy she feels in the music, and finally that connection to her religion that helps define it for her. All of the key components now intermingle and enhance each other, ending the album as a whole on a final note of peace and hope. And that is where we end the album. Our first holiday album. An album that explores the intersection of grief and seasonal depression, the unceasing joy of the season, and the often coloring of all of these things through many individuals' connection to their faith and their religion. By recentering herself in the things she found important, in this instance her faith and the peace and togetherness of the holiday season, that brighter love, she was able to adjust how she viewed the period, away from one that highlighted her loneliness because of the togetherness of others, and turned into an appreciation for spending time with others while they were still around. A lesson that we could all possibly learn during the holiday season and beyond. But the final thing I think to take away from this album is the fact that not everyone has an incredible time during the holidays. For one reason or another, it may be hard to get into the Christmas spirit. Through a fear of the future, to a loss of a loved one, to a feeling of abandonment or loneliness when no one is able to show up for you or you are unable to make it to someone else. We see this really come into fruition in this album in that additional verse from Miss You Most that we skipped, verse 3. Despite her loss, it really only becomes apparent during the holiday season itself, the rest of the year going by relatively unbothered. Only at the time when everyone is supposed to be happy is it pointed out that she isn't. And honestly, this isn't the first album or song to expose these feelings during the holidays. Many Christmas songs are melancholy or solemn or just plain sad because there really are few things in the world that do not balance in some way. There can be no joy without knowing sorrow. There can be no happiness without knowing sadness. And there can be no life without death. And some people get some of the worst of it during the holiday season. Bringing awareness to these feelings is commendable here, but I think more than anything, it's important to remember that human experience exists not binary, but on a spectrum. Nothing that is all bad must remain all bad. Things slide around on how good or bad they might be, and maybe we could all do a little more to help those who are having a bad holiday. And maybe even extend this feeling beyond the holiday, to be perfectly honest. Maybe we could all do our part to help move some of those sliders a bit more toward hope, toward love, and toward joy.
Thank you so much for taking a little bit of your holiday time and spending it with me here. This podcast would not exist for everyone listening in and sharing it with others. But I made the decision early on to have this episode be as short as I could possibly make it. So you had the time to spend with your loved ones, to spend with your family, with your friends, the people that you are able to gather around and be close to during this time. So I don't have a second portion for you here, but I did want to address just a couple of things. This is a Christmas album through and through, and it is largely based around Mariah Carey's exploration of her faith and her examination and proclamation of her faith. And that really comes through on this album. I personally have always celebrated Christmas and was only religious for a short period of my youth, and I'm now not. Yet the season is so much more, and the music is so much more than just its connection to faith or religion or Christianity or whatever. It's a period of time that a lot of cultures celebrate that sees us want to be more civilized, for lack of a better word, to be more together, to give more and experience life in a way that really emphasizes the community of humanity, which is something that we always strive to push for, always strive to proclaim on this podcast. So if you're having trouble kind of approaching this album due to the fact that it is largely faithful, I would recommend viewing it as less of faith and more of hope, more of love and life and finding strength in the things that you believe in and the things that you love to make your time as beneficial to yourself and others as possible. Faith is not inherently a bad thing, and it often gets a bad rap for good reason. Most of the time it has a bad rap, but it is also incredibly beneficial to a lot of people's lives and how they approach their experience with life. I think there's lessons to be had in almost everything, and I implore you to explore opinions that are different from yourself. Unless those opinions involve hurting other people, then ignore those. Explore the world in a way that you might see how different we all are and at times how similar we all can be. So with all of that, with our ending of our holiday episode on Throughline, I just wanted to say one more thing. Happy Holidays is an attempt to be more inclusive to everyone who experiences this time of year. And you are allowed to say Merry Christmas back. It doesn't matter. Just be kind. That's the true reason for the season. To teach ourselves how it feels to give and be kind and let ourselves learn to love that feeling and hopefully let that spill out to the rest of the year. So give now. Donate to charities, help out others, and spend time with the ones you love. And do that not just now, but always. But until next year, two weeks from now, happy holidays and thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.